continue here in the book of Daniel. Those who are missing the studies will have to get them on CD or on the Internet, one of the two, because we're getting to the really fun stuff. If you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10, I want to give you a little heads up, because the whole rest of the book of Daniel, chapter 10 all the way to chapter 12, really is a single vision of the latter days. The last days, the final days, the days that to some degree have yet to come. And they form a picture of God in his miraculous intervention in the lives of the Jewish people. And the first thing that happens is we see this incredible vision of a man, a man that's coming. And for us, because we're here tonight, we're in Christ uh, that man is already resident in us, in Christ. But to the Jews, most of them still have not yet seen him. Many of them have refused him. Those who were alive at the time that he was born, many of them rejected him. But nonetheless, the whole concept of what will happen in the very last days all revolves around the life Death, burial, resurrection, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because that victory has been sealed for those that believe, does not mean that we're not going to go through some warfare. And so tonight, as we open up Daniel chapter 10, we, we get this incredible picture of the battle that is going to rage, and it will continue until the Lord comes again and sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. We are in a war. And that battle at times is absolutely raging around us. I think the Lord understanding our humanity at times gives us a little respite from it, but at times it gets cranked up. So I shared with you on Sunday, as I shared uh, really uh, a week ago Wednesday night, it is amazing to me that as we celebrate Christmas, it seems to be that uh, so many marriages are under attack and so many people are having a rough time. And uh, it's just it's astounding to me that the ratcheting up uh, of the warfare that goes on at this time. And you can pretty much count on whenever the Lord is at work, there is also going to be a battle that's going to ensue. Uh, as that work uh, becomes real in our lives. And so the more the Lord is at work in you, uh, the more at times you're going to feel like you're getting put through the furnace. And so tonight, the man is coming. We'll take the first 13 verses here in Daniel chapter 10. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak. Father God, as we come and we now uh, deposit ourselves before your throne of grace, and just sit at your feet for a while to learn from you. And God, as you open your word to us, as we study it and seek to understand it, we pray that you would uh, add your wisdom, Lord, your discernment, your knowledge, your understanding uh, to our hearts and our minds, that as we uh, engage in the study of your word, that you would fill us and anoint us and bless us. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to proclaim you as our king and God, we do trust and we rest in you. And so, God, tonight we ask that you now take us and use us, Lord, as we fill our minds and our hearts with your thoughts. We bless you. We thank you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, remember that you always must keep Scripture in context. Amen. You cannot divest yourself of the context of Scripture ever. Um, it is a very, very, very huge trap to take and pull a few verses out and think that you can just look at them on their own. Oftentimes they do stand on their own, but we must always look at the context. And so the context of the remainder of the letter that Daniel has written, that God formulated by the Holy Spirit caused Daniel to write, the remainder of it is in response to what we have already seen as we finished chapter 9. And so there is now going to be a vision 
that comes upon Daniel that is the direct result of the 77s. And so remember what it says there. And so we're going to go backwards before we go forwards. And it says in verse 26, And after the 62 weeks the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with the flood. And so that flood, as I shared with you, is a flood of humankind, a flood of mankind. It is literally man setting his face against the Lord himself, and he will come, and they will, uh, in essence, in the last days, come against God, come against his people, and certainly come against the nation Israel. And so here's where it goes from there, until the end of the war. And so there is going to be, in the last days, warfare. And we must keep that in, in view as we move on. And it says, until the end of the war of desolations are determined. And then you should confirm a covenant with many uh, for one week. But in the middle of the week, notice what will happen. Uh, the, the sanctuary, the city are going to be uh, destroyed and then rebuilt. And in the middle of the week, you should bring it to an end of the sacrifice. And on the wing of abominations shall be the one who makes desolate even until the consummation of which is determined, and that is poured out on the desolate. And so there's going to be at the very last breath of the age of grace, if you will. And that's really the best way to look at it, that final seven-year period, which we now know from our previous studies, uh, is the tribulation, specifically the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, where all hell breaks loose on earth, literally, the de demonic forces of darkness, Satan himself, the Antichrist, the beast rises up, and he is going to wage war on everything that is for God. So those who are left after the rapture of the church uh, that finally give themselves over to the Lord, most of them are going to be martyred. And so there's this picture of this incredible battle that's in view. And so now Daniel is going to receive a vision. Because here's what happens very often when we're informed of bad news. We remember it about two days, right? And then about three days later, well, you know, wasn't it? if you don't believe that, look at the bad news of 9-11. A few days afterwards, everybody's like, oh, this is horrible, this is terrible. A few weeks afterwards, we're still thinking about it. We have completely forgotten what happened. Basically, we're going about our little lives, doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, uh, checking out the world just as if those things had never happened. And the same will be true for the tribulation. Things will happen. People will go, wow, that was amazing. And then they're going to forget. And so to drive home the point, Daniel is now going to receive this vision. Verse 1, chapter 10. For in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, uh, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the message was true, that the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And so this message is going to be given to Daniel. He's already understood that there is going to be a period of time that will culminate uh, in essence, with God dealing with the world for the way that it is dealt with Israel. And so now he receives this subsequent vision. For in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. So this is after he's received the 70 weeks prophecy. And he is just beside himself. He's going, you're kidding me. These things are all going to happen? Because he believes they're real. The Lord spoken to him without a doubt. He understands that they're going to occur. He says, For I ate no pleasant food, and no meat or no wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three weeks were, were fulfilled. And now on the 24th day of the first month, I was beside the great river. That would be the river Euphrates. And that is the Tigris. And so those two rivers join each other in the city of Babylon. And I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, 
whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. And so Daniel begins to receive this vision. And by now he has jumped back in, into the latter years of his life. And so this date would put us at about 536 B.C., assuming that the captivity began, and we know when it began in about 605 B.C. So Daniel is now 83 years old. He's lived through all that we've seen. He has heard the vision of the 70 weeks. He understands that things are going to get rough. And now he, this elder state, statesman, if you will, uh, is continuing in his office. He's still fulfilling his duty. He's still holding down the fort. Uh, it, it's interesting to me because here's this incredibly spiritual man who has lived through about as much uh, absurdity of other governments and rulers as one possibly can, and yet he's still being used of the Lord. He's, he's not... Uh, what we would call in those twilight years retiring. He's still in the king's palace, and he, he makes that clear by he says he didn't partake of, in essence, these fine foods which would have been found uh, in the king's palace. And so after Cyrus's decree that allows the Jews to return to, to Babylon or to Palestine, uh, all, this, all of a sudden these lofty empires that had been raised up, Babylon is gone, uh, Media Persia is gone, uh, in essence, it's in its waning days, and Greece will come on the scene in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but God has a plan in all of that, and Israel's going to get very, very little pleasure from their short time of freedom uh, under Cyrus, the king of Persia. And, and it, in fact, is important that you tie these passages together with the rest of what is said about this time. And, of course, most of what is is coming up really comes... Uh, from the book of Nehemiah, and in, in Nehemiah, uh, he begins to, to talk in chapters 1 and 2 about rebuilding the city, and he, in essence, goes to the kings and magistrates of the land and seeks the building materials to go back, and he gives us the length of time that it would take, which is 49 years, which would be exactly that first set of, set of sevens uh, that we find here. So seven sevens and 62 sevens. And all of a sudden, you're, you're at the end of this period of time that brings the coming of the Messiah. And in, fa- and in fact, it says, uh, recorded for us, so, so that we know when it was. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought before them, that Nehemiah went into the king. And so we, we know the timing of these events rather meticulously. They're recorded in multiple uh, books of the Old Testament. And yet, in all of this, Daniel is actually going to get some more bad news. By the time we get to the end of chapter 10, he's going to find out that the Greek Empire is coming. So imagine this. Daniel was a child when they were taken into captivity in Babylon. That was after the Assyrian onslaught that wiped out all but one tribe, the tribe of Judah. They're now confined, in essence, to the land of Judea that we know today. They are then taken captive by Babylon. They're sent in captivity to Babylon. Palestine, Palestine, Judea is cleaned out. There are basically very few Jews left. They've now spent these 70 years in captivity, replacing all of the Sabbath years of rest of the land that they should have given the land but didn't. And so now they get the news that, you know, at least Babylon's been dealt with and the media Persian Empire's come and Cyrus, who's basically a good king, is going to set him free. And now he's going to get, well, that's not the end of the bad stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about how long that is, I'm kind of thinking that's about the length of the history of the United States from start to now. And yet it still isn't over. It's like they're fighting the fight. They're, they're battling and it's still not getting better. The Babylonians are gone, the Medes are heading out, the Greeks, and then to follow them is the Romans. And so the news isn't really good for Israel. Why is that? Because God is faithful to his word. And when God tells you that there is exactly one way of salvation, you need to take it. And he's making a point to them about the redemption. And so here comes a a glimpse of this warfare that takes place between the organized armies of darkness and, and God's angels and all of that stuff that takes place behind the scenes. You ever gotten into, you know, just one of those foul moods and you don't even know where it came from and 
you're just sitting there going, man, I don't even know why I thought that way. Very often, that's the result of spiritual warfare. The enemy is just trying to twist your mind and thump on your head, and he sends his minions to do their work, and God's defending you, and part of the problem is is we don't call on the resources to fight the fight. We just try and fight it in ourselves. We think it's that other person. We think it's maybe our spouse or our kids or some teacher or somebody at the grocery store, when in fact it's really spiritual warfare that's going on. The enemy's trying to destroy you. And it's essential to keep in, in mind that everything on this earth, and you must remember this, the world and its system is controlled currently by Satan. He is the God of this age. The Lord certainly is sovereign over all, and he can at any moment step into time and do whatever he wants to do. But he has given Satan dominion for a time, and we call it the age of grace. People are allowed to choose whom they want to serve, and there has to be something to choose other than God. And so the option is Satan and his minions. And so there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for our families. And every single thing that's in this world can become an idol, just as the Jewish people had uh, had to fight against the idols of the Old Testament. And it's freakish to me when you think about how they were delivered uh, on that final, on that Passover, the last Passover that they spent uh, in Egypt. If you remember that, that was when the angel of death passed over the camp uh, of the of the Egyptians and destroys, in essence, all that are not sealed by the blood over the doorposts and the windows of their homes. And so here they're set free, they're out of bondage, they're, they're given that beautiful picture of redemption, and so it, it's staggering to me how quickly we can forget that a, there has been a battle for our souls. Multitude of false gods still vying for that today. We don't think in those terms because back then they were literally little gods. They were little pieces of gold. Sometimes they were pieces of wood. They were things that were carved in the image of some deity, if you will. But today we still have gods. Those gods come in the form of money and power and passion and possession and position and all kinds of things uh, that we're tempted to worship other than the Lord. And in this case, Israel's times of distress, their difficulty, and their suffering was the result of choosing the wrong side in the conflict. God demands that we serve him. And it's not that you lose your salvation, but I guarantee you're going to ramp up the warfare when you start serving foreign gods. Because God says of himself, I am a jealous God. You can't be a drug addict and a Christian. You, you can't be an adulterer and a Christian. You can't be a homosexual and a Christian. You can't be a thief, a liar, a deceiver, or a pervert and name the name of Christ and expect that you're not going to have any warfare going on in your life because God's jealous over you. He's jealous over me. He's jealous over us. And he is going to turn up the heat and cause that fight to rage so that we once again turn to the Lord. And he has done that from thousands of years of history. He said, you know what, you guys have a choice. But if you choose wrongly, I'm going to put you in a war. Your life's going to be miserable. And so this vision unfolds before us. We're going to see that Daniel is made weak, Daniel is made strong, Daniel is touched, and, and he begins uh, to receive these things. And, and, I, and I, it's hard to talk about because people love to hear about grace and love. Amen? I don't know about you. Know, I do. I like grace and love. You know. I'd much rather talk about grace and love. But to talk about grace and love, you also have to talk about wrath and justice and judgment. You you can't throw those things out. People don't like to hear about the wrath and the justice and the judgment. And so in this particular case, 
there is a tremendous balance. And so Daniel receives the other side of the coin, if you will. It's just like, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's what I will do if you do what I ask you to do. But if you don't, here's the other side. And it's always been that way, and it remains that way for us. And if you need a picture of that, you can just simply read the first chapter of the book of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so it's very important that we do not just hold up, you know, well, we just love and we just have grace and mercy. Though those things are true. And they're preeminent in our relationship with God. There is still a vengeful, wrathful side of God. And he is going to warn now, Daniel, of that very thing. Not everything that God says to us, and you need to understand this, is, oh, hey, come on over here. Let me whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Sometimes it's like, if you don't stop sinning, I am going to break your legs. If you don't quit doing those behaviors, I'm going to crash your car into a tree. If you don't give up the things that are holding you in bondage, I'm going to turn your life inside out, upside down, dump it on its head, and then run over it with a tractor. God has that side, and he uses that side when he has to. Because he wants us to understand his character and his nature, because there is a penalty for not walking in the ways of the Lord. You know, we often think, well, you know, I'm just saved by grace and I'm going to heaven. That in and of itself is a truth, but that truth is not devoid of the other truths is, which is God is a jealous God. And he also has a side that says, I will punish all unrighteousness and wickedness. And so the Jewish people are beginning to get this picture. Well, hey, look, we survived the Assyrians. We survived the Babylonians. We're going to survive the Medes. And oh, the Greeks are coming. We're going to survive them. And then the Romans, we're going to survive them. And then we're going to be dispersed and we're going to survive that. And so they're looking, like many Christians do, at the world through these grace glasses that says, I can do whatever I want. And it's simply not true. God definitely will come down hard on his kids if he is forced to do so. It's not what he wants to do, but it is what he will do. And so there, there's a couple of phrases here that are translated several different ways, but in essence, when you look at verse 7, and it says great terror, it could also say great warfare, it could also say great conflict. the same word there, uh, it's sakagladao. And in the Hebrew, those two words together are symbolically war. And it's a great war. In other words, when, when this vision goes forth, it's like, oh man, this is a battle. And so the revelation begins in verse 4. And it says, now on the 24th day of the first month, I was beside the, beside the great river, that is the Tigris. It's where they have confluence there in Babylon. Euphrates and the Tigris come together. And I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen. Now the man described here has been fought over and disputed and debated for centuries. Uh, But I think it's extremely clear and I'll show you how we can determine that it's extremely clear who this man is. Whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. And his body was like a barrel, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like torches of fire, his arms and his feet were like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Now, I'm going to give you a little secret. I've already told you who it is. It's none other than an Old Testament appearance of Jesus himself. It is, in fact, a Christophany. And I'll give you, give you a whole bunch of reasons why here in just a minute or two. But this month that's mentioned, it's interesting to me because it corresponds that the 24th day of the first month in that particular year would have been April 4th. So this is four days after Passover in that year. So the Jews were very fastidious about maintaining their feast days while, even while they were in captivity. And so what is described here is exactly the opposite of what's going on in Daniel's life. It should have been a time of celebration. 
And for him, it's a time of fasting and sorrow because he realizes that all of this trouble that's been described is yet future. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen at a later time. And so as they should have been rejoicing and celebrating and uh, just being thankful for their deliverance because of the picture of Passover, you know, basically when you look at Passover itself, it is a picture of the redemption of the children of Israel. It's a picture of our redemption because they're saved by the blood. Amen? That's the original picture of Passover. When the angel passed over, they were saved by the blood, and only the blood. If you didn't have the blood, forget it. You were dead. Okay? Firstborn was gone if you didn't have the blood. They, they also were told not to bake any bread. Just, just, we don't want it to spoil, so do it without leaven. Don't put anything in it. We don't want you taking anything from the old life into the new life. Exactly what happens to us at salvation. Amen? Don't take the old life into the new life. So we're going to leave the leaven out of it. The other picture that you have is the picture of redemption. As they cross over the Red Sea, as they're going through it, it's this miraculous departure, and literally there are two sides, and you're on one side or the other. And if you're on the other side of the Red Sea, you're redeemed. If you're on the bank with the Egyptians, you're dead. So you've got to choose which side you want to be on. Anybody that wanted to stay with the Egyptians could have done so. And when you see Egypt in the Old Testament, it is very often a type of this world. And so everything that Egypt represented was the world. And everything that the wilderness would actually bring into the lives of the Jewish people was a picture of the work that God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes he takes us into the wilderness after we're redeemed. Amen? You spend that time, you're like, oh, I don't know why. I've lost this. I've lost that. I don't. My friends have abandoned me. My family doesn't like me anymore. And I'm wandering around out here. And the whole time the Lord is wanting us to worship him. But we have a choice. We, we, can, we can either worship the Lord or we can go back to the false gods. The Jewish people went back to the false gods. Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. What do the Jews do? They throw a party at the base of the mountain, build a few bonfires, create some little idols, and oh, they, you know, they just made themselves. It's a picture of how we are if we're really not walking with the Lord. And so Daniel begins to be invigorated here, and I looked up, and there was before me that man who was dressed. And I believe it's not an archangel. I believe it's not a mighty angel. I believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. And I'll tell you how we can be certain, because there's a number of descriptions exactly like this in your Bible. The first one's found uh, in the book of Ezekiel. And it says there, above the expanse and over their heads was one that was like a throne of sapphire. And above that throne was a figure like a man. Again, same picture, a man. And I saw what from appeared from his, uh, his waist appeared like glowing metal, glowing metal, gold, pretty much the same thing, uh, as full of fire. And from down there, it looked like he was on fire, and a brilliant sunlight surrounded him, and the appearance of that rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. And so it was, it was radiant around him, and there was an appearance and the likeness of the glory of God. And that's in Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, there's, so, so we know that from that description, it's highly likely that this was a heavenly vision of Christ on earth. Uh, a second passage that you can look at, Revelation chapter 1, verse 13 to 16, it says there, For someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Notice there's gold around the midsection, all three visions. And his head and his hair were like fine wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun that was shining in all of its brilliance. And so uh, I believe it was just simply the Lord. The Lord comes and visits Daniel. He says, i got something to tell you. And it's time for you to listen up. You know, sometimes we, we think that God is... Uh, almost not existent in the affairs of men. But I do believe that the Lord still is able to speak, and I do believe that the Lord still gives vision to people and still uh, speaks directly into our lives at times. 
The question is, are we willing to listen, and are we looking for the Lord to do that? Notice verse 7. It says, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. This is a picture of how God works in the lives of people, because you, you may well see something or hear something or know something that God has specifically for you, and, and God is giving it to you because of your situation, and he may not share that with other people. And those are called specific revelation. Specific revelation is just that. It's specific to the person, it's specific to the circumstance, and it's not general and not for everybody. And so because Daniel's already been given the vision of the future, he's now getting some of the details filled in. He says, but for the men who were with me, they did not see the vision. But great terror fell upon them so that they fled and hid themselves. And so obviously this vision had a component of warfare that was so great that though they did not see the vision, they felt the effects of it and it caused them to flee. Sometimes spiritual warfare is that palpable. It is, you can cut it with a knife. It is thick and it is harsh. And people who are in tune with what's going on in the spirit world can feel those things, see those things at times, or hear those things. And therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and I had no strength remaining in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained, retained no strength, and yet I heard the sound of his words. So basically, he has pretty much been incapacitated by what he hears, what he understands, what he sees, what's being delivered to him. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face was in the ground, and suddenly a hand touched me, and it made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So now he's down on all fours. He's basically in a daze. He's on all fours. He's received this vision. And it says, he said to me, O Daniel, notice the encouragement. Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking, this word to me, I stood trembling. And so Daniel receives the vision. He's incapacitated by the vision. He's knocked to the ground by the vision. He is made basically to, to be on his hands and knees. And then the Lord says to him, it's okay. Stand up. We need to talk. Very often this is exactly the pattern that spiritual warfare works you're going to find that very often you're going to get the attack and that attack is going to incapacitate you and then will come the comfort. The Lord says, it's okay, I've got this under control. And you aren't necessarily going to know why. You aren't going to know when. You're just going to know who. This parallels Saul's encounter in Acts chapter 9 too, by the way. If you remember, he was struck blind and knocked to the ground himself. Same basic thing. And so when the Lord is at work, very often uh, you, you see the person who's affected literally knocked to the ground by the things that are going on in his life. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation chapter 1 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Could we... Maybe go back to the cry room. Thank you. Notice how Daniel responds. I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. It's exactly what happened to Ezekiel when he saw the vision of, of God. In chapter 1, it said there in verse 20, what, 28, he says, When I saw it, when he saw the vision of heaven... He fell to the ground, and he heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, O son of man, stand to your feet. It's the exact same picture. When we see the Lord, we are normally overwhelmed by the things that God's doing. And it's not coincidence. It's just the way the Lord works. Very often when God works in our lives in that type of a way, it's overpowering. You're just like, Lord, what am I going to do? And so the warfare begins. 
Daniel was esteemed in a couple of ways more than his peers. He saw the pre-incarnate Christ. He was taught the ways of the Lord directly from the Lord in this particular case. And so he, he begins to receive those things. In verse 12, he goes on now, and then he said to me, Do not fear. When it's truly the Lord, you don't have to fear. When it's not the Lord, when it's you know your best friend giving it their shot, then you kind of need to be afraid because there's, there's not a comparison between those two. Worldly counsel can be sometimes beneficial, but it is the word of the Lord that sustained us, sustains us in those very difficult times. He says, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Don't you love that? From the very first day you began to seek me, from the very first moment your heart was inclined towards heaven, from the very moment you began to pray, I was listening. And remember who this is. It's the Lord responding. He's saying, you know what? I heard you, Daniel. Not one word that you spoke in all of these 70 years that you've been in captivity, because it's almost the end now. In all of that time, as you've been fighting the good fight, I've been right there. I've heard every last word. Sometimes we don't think God's listening, huh? Amen? I've, I've had those thoughts. It's like, Lord, what are you doing? How come you're delaying? Why haven't you done that yet? Uh, can't you see I'm getting the proverbial spiritual tar beat out of me right now? You know, you're just you're just whooped, and you don't know if you can take it another day, and it just seems like the world is crashing in on you, and you have not any idea how you're going to survive another day. The, the Lord, word of the Lord to us is, from the very first day that you set your heart to understand, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. But I want you to notice something. It took 70 years. Daniel was praying and praying and beseeching the Lord and talking to God and doing the right thing. He was persecuted. He was thrown in the lion's den. His friends get hucked in the furnace. It's not been easy, and it's not been easy for a very long time. But God was listening the whole time. And God was sufficient and able the whole time. And every time that there was something that came into Daniel's life, the Lord was sending significant resources to fight that fight for him. Daniel wasn't always uh, kept from the, from the difficulty, was he? And anybody that tells you that every Christian, the moment they get saved, is going to have a trouble-free life is flatly a liar. It's not true. Anybody that ever tells you that if you give your life to Jesus, you'll never have another problem, your bank account will be full, your car will never break down, in fact, the soles of your shoes will never wear out, you need to just say, get thee behind me, Satan, because they are not telling you the truth. Because here is one of the most godly guys in the Old Testament, and he goes through a, a tremendous amount of difficulty to the point of wondering whether he's even going to physically survive it or possibly die. But it says from the very moment, the very first day that you set your heart to understand, the moment you turned to me in prayer, Daniel, I heard you, and that's exactly why I'm here. I was listening and I'm answering. Now I want you to notice something, because what happens next, some people go, ah, see, this couldn't be God. I'll give you a few reasons why I think that's just foolish. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came up to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now think about this for a second. If this is Jesus, who do you think the 
prince of the kingdom of Persia actually is. I think it's none other than Satan. This is a battle. Satan says, oh no, you're not, no, I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from getting to Daniel. You help him, he's going to help everybody else, it's going to be bad. So there's going to be a war that goes on. So we have a picture here of what goes on behind the scenes. What goes on behind the scenes for you, for me, for us, for the church, for individual Christians all over the world? Because you've been praying. But God hasn't apparently answered yet. But he's been listening, and he's going to. And sometimes the reason that that answer hasn't come is because he's been busy fighting a battle on your behalf. And that's exactly what's going on here. The Lord himself doing battle, I believe, with Satan himself for 21 days. And finally, he calls in reinforcements in the form of Michael. Now, does that mean that Jesus isn't sufficient in and of himself? No, it doesn't. Because Satan buffeted Christ himself while he was here on earth, didn't he? He goes on to say, And now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people In the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So we know that what follows hasn't got a thing to do with Daniel and the Jewish people at that time. It is for the the latter days or the last days. And so here... Uh, this, this vision that John actually had in Revelation chapter 1 is very similar. It says, do not be afraid, for I'm the first and the last. So the Lord comes to John as well and says, hey, I know you're imprisoned here on the island of Patmos, but don't worry about it. I've got it under control. The Lord affirms our path of understanding. He, he affirms that he's heard our prayers. He gives us those little hopes and helps at times when we think that, man, I'm, I'm just getting whooped here. And I've had those days, and I'm sure many of you have too, you know, to where you just think, man, the Lord's just, I don't know whether he just kind of forgot where I was, or, you know, maybe I'm on some kind of bad list, kind of like Santa's naughty and nice thing, you know. It's like, well, maybe I got on a naughty list sometime ago, and I didn't realize. No. Sometimes it's when you're doing your very best for the Lord that you get the worst attacks. I can tell you in my own personal life, in the life of our family, it is when we have been used the most that we've also been beat up the worst. And you sit there and you're just like, man, you know what's going to be cool? Is one day you're going to get to heaven, you're going to find out all of the war that went on on your behalf. You're going to look back and you're going to see that time when you didn't think you could make it another day. And the Lord sent a couple of legions of angels. Maybe he himself stepped in behind the scenes and is just battling with the enemy over your life, over your soul, over your family. Those people that you've been praying for for years, that you there's just no way they're ever going to get saved. And all of a sudden you step into heaven's glory and there they are. And you're going to get a little, you know, it's like I grew up in the, in the days of the Super 8 movies, you know, where everybody had the little movie projector and little cameras. just... <laughs> Kind of the weird thing. You're going to get handed a disc of your life, and it's like you can go back and review it, and you're going to see what was going on behind the scenes. It's going to be crazy what the Lord did on your behalf. You you would have perished a long time ago were it not for his sustaining hand. And so back in chapter 9, remember Daniel's prayer was actually answered before he even finished praying. Remember that? It's like five minutes later, all of a sudden, here comes Gabriel, the archangel. So now we've had both of the known archangels in the life of Daniel. Gabriel and Michael, both, in essence, because Michael is in in view here in this vision of the Lord speaking to Daniel. And so God's got resources that he can bring to bear whenever he wants. And so the skeptics are saying, oh, see, I told you it's not Christ. Did not the Lord himself wrestle all night with Jacob? Remember that little story? Didn't Satan actually tempt Jesus physically? Wasn't Jesus hungry? Didn't the angels actually have to attend to Jesus after the temptations because it was so severe? We know that there's things that go on behind the scenes that we don't have any explanation for. And so I believe that the Lord 
uh, did wrestle with the enemy. Satan, uh, we know, remember the parable of the sower, that Satan comes away and takes away some of the seed. We know he's very, very, very powerful. I, I I have a problem when people in ignorance... You know, just kind of flippantly say, oh, well, you know, Satan, I can just, you know, God's already got him whipped. He is powerful. And he absolutely can do amazingly horrible things in your life. And so you don't want to get out of the habit of praying for God to be on your side. You you need to to solicit the, the power of the Lord in your life every day. Because it's very often that the behind the scenes is where those battles are really raging. Maybe in your temporal life while you're on this earth, you don't experience a whole lot. But I guarantee you there's a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes that you don't see. That if you knew it was happening, you would have some serious shaking going on. But the Lord is good. Jesus was actually, if you remember, unsuccessful in in releasing all the prisoners of Satan. That didn't actually happen yet. There are still some that are bound. You ever wondered why all the demons didn't repent at the cross? You ever thought about that for a second? That's how powerful Satan is. He's pretty persuasive. He's actually so blinded some people, they still follow him. And so Daniel... Here gives us a preview of this tremendous warfare. Satan, if you remember also, one of the things that we have to always understand about him is he's the great counterfeiter. He's the great faker. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. And so it's it's just like him uh, to take this tremendous victory that had occurred and to somehow kind of sully it or try and tarnish it somehow because Daniel is still alive and he has withstood all of these tests and he is still walking with the Lord. And so you can well imagine that that it would be just like the enemy to try and come against him. And so the Lord comes and comforts him. And then one of those questions that I'm going to ask the Lord when I get there is, you know, why didn't you just swat Satan like a fly or something? You know, just... And get rid of him. The answer is he could, but he doesn't. And for reasons known only to God, he doesn't. That's why Isaiah said, For your ways are not my ways, and my ways are not your ways. For my ways are so high that they are above your ways, and in fact, you can't know them there in Isaiah 55. They're, they're just beyond our understanding. We don't know why God does what he does. Began with Satan's fall, it, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so Michael comes on the scene and aids the Lord. It's almost like Jesus calls in reinforcements because there's just all this demonic warfare going on. And he says, you know what? I'll just bring in some of the big guns. He calls in, you know, the H-bombs, the heaven bombs. Chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, wrap it up. And there was a war in heaven. It says there in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. It says there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Notice that it's not instantaneous that, you know, God just, every single time that the enemy rears his ugly head, that it's just an instantaneous defeat. It gives you a picture of how much Really, the warfare goes on every day around you. There's going to come a time when Satan's actually going to lose permanently. But it hasn't happened yet. Notice this. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. I love that. So we know, ultimately, the enemy can't defeat God. But he sure can mess things up. And he can make things really difficult and very hard. He can affect relationships. He can stir up thoughts in people's minds about you. Uh, He can cause circumstances in your work life and in your school life and in your professional life. He, He can do all of those things. He can cause war. 
And the great dragon was hurled down, that serpent, the ancient one called the devil, who leads the whole world astray. And when he was hurled to earth, his angels were sent with him. So when Satan got kicked out of heaven, he landed here. And he ain't happy about not being in heaven. So his goal is to deceive, to destroy, to kill, to maim, to cause you to sin, to cause you to stumble, to fight you every inch of the way, to try and thwart your prayer life. You want to know one of the biggest lies that people believe? My prayers don't affect anything. I've been praying and God hasn't answered that prayer. If a man like Daniel can wait for 70 years for the Lord to show up and fight that particular battle, we can probably pray just a little bit longer. Amen? He's coming. Jesus is still coming for you and me, too. One day he's going to show up, peek his head through the clouds, and we're going to be out of here. And that indeed will be a glorious day. Amen? But until then, fight the fight. Because he's going to come after you. But know this. God's listening, and he will answer. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the times that how you've come and stood me up, and God dusted me off and got me back in the battle, back in the fight. Pray that you would strengthen us to that resolve. And as we head towards a new year, Lord, as we look towards a, a, another year starting in just a week, God, it's another year for us to be prayer warriors. It's another year for us to be servants of the Most High God. It's another year for us to proclaim you loudly and boldly as King and Lord, the rightful deed holder to the earth. Lord, this place is really yours. You've just given it on loan to mankind and given the enemy the opportunity to steal and kill and maim for your own purposes. Lord, you will one day wipe him out, and we can't wait. But, Lord, help us to be faithful in battle. Lord, help us to fight the good fight. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the precious name of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and our coming King. Amen.